Hi, and welcome to the Trail to Austin. I'm your host, Bob Morse. I'm here again with my co-host, Joel McColl. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Well, I'm doing really good because we have a guest today. Oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> I know. It happens. You know, every once in a while you just trip into something. Um, so my guest, I had the uh, pleasure of meeting last year. Um, she is an interesting person. Uh, she is the executive director of the Melge Justice Center, and we'll let her tell you about that in a moment. She is a radio host on KAZI um, with a show every Thursday morning at 9 called Iron Sharpens Iron. Um, definitely worth listening to if you're out driving around in the Austin area. And so without further ado, let me introduce you to Latrice Cook. Hi, Latrice. Well, thank you so much for you all having me on. I really appreciate this. And I just um, I have to say that um, I came to meet Bob in a very uh, interesting way, which you were just asking him about. And I want to just speak real quickly to the importance of volunteerism and people who really give back no matter what. And, um, you know, a lot of times we look for opportunities that are paid for because, of course, we all need to pay our bills <laughs> and survive. But it's when people um, extend themselves beyond money and uh, give of their time because um, they want to help you be successful when you really recognize the value of um, people just loving to give back and help. And with this being the type of times that we're living in when people really don't really care or, or don't seem to care as much, it really means a lot when people um, assist you. And so, Mom, I do want to say to you on your podcast, first of all, thank you so much for uh, extending yourself. And, it was my pleasure. I yeah. mean, I had a lot of fun getting to know you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm telling you, and I, I am um, not as time cognizant as I need to be. So Bob is real patient. And he smiles a lot. When you can, he's, he has a smile, you know, and, um, so thank you for the work that you, um, gave to Melge and continue to, um, help us to help others. So thank you. Well, so real quick then, since we did that, we'd be neglectful if we didn't have a shout out to Shannon and the oh Leap to Success God. organization. Yes, yes, yes. So Shannon. if you're looking for volunteer opportunities in Austin, uh, Leap to Success, um, provides okay. IT services to not-for-profits, and it's really rewarding to work at. So, yes. anyway. Shout out to Shannon Mantra. Yep. Uh, yes. All right. So, tell us um, tell us what MELJ does. So, MELJ Justice Center is a, a nonprofit organization that was founded and designed to work with people who had previously been incarcerated in their families. And so, um, MELJ Center provides actual resources to people that have gone to prison. There are many organizations um, around the country that really focus on workforce development, and that's basically it, because people really believe that when people go to prison, one of the first things they need is a job, which that is true, but not their immediate first need. Because um, some people have gone to prison and never worked in their lives, you know, before they, you know, before they went to prison. And surely as soon as they come out, they don't know, even know how to behave, you know, and I should say behave, but they don't really know how to even adapt to normal, um, normal day to day living. So why would you throw them in the midst of a job immediately? So, um, Melt is a holistic service provider in that we work with our participants or those people that walk in from, the, uh, from the bottom to the top, and that means that really ascertaining what it is that they need, you know, and um, hearing who they were before prison, and what do they um, what do they aspire to do in 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 the where they are right now. We meet people where they are. Our ta- we we tailor our services specifically to the need of that individual, you know, um, because everybody has different needs, right? It's not a it's not a, a one size fit all. Uh, concept when it comes to people, period. And surely people that have felonious backgrounds that have gone to prison really face a different type of, um, a different type of uh, need and a different type of resources that they need to, to be provided to them. So Mel's tries to reach those persons and their families. And so we, our extension of services is to also the family members of those persons who have previously been incarcerated. And now the thing to say is, um, justice involved. Um, so 
that's basically what Vouch does. Um, and through this effort, um, we, uh, I, I developed and designed this whole radio show. I didn't, I didn't aspire to be in radio in any way. I never had wanted to be. And someone actually brought this to me and said, you know, hey, you know, you need to, this needs to be something that is, people are hearing about and, um, and asked me about it. And so, uh, it was because of that, that I started into the whole radio thing and started Iron Sharpens Iron. And what it basically does is it gives a, a, uh, outlet, a media outlet to, for us to discuss, um, people, places and things that, uh, that actually assists specifically this population and their family. Even judges and DAs and things like that have also been on the show, or persons like that, not things like that. Persons like that have been on the show so that they can t- discuss, you know, their role in um, what they do in the criminal justice system. So. I think I think that's a, a really important thing that you bring up because there are two two ends to every story. Uh, mm-hmm. You have the folks who are coming out of a situation, but you also have the folks who are receiving them as they come out. And uh, there are skills, I, I suppose, that need to be learned mm-hmm. on both sides, uh, and skills including acceptance. Yes. I know a lot of times she does act as the middleman, as it were, between maybe an employer and, and the uh, Formerly incarcerated person. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know, I've, I've seen her take a phone call and have to go rushing off because something <laughs> was going on at some job site or something. So, yeah, it's kind of a learning thing for both of them. So how do they find you? So and that's interesting because a lot of people ask me that they're like, I've never heard of Mel, you know. Um, and one of the things that I really I've done from like the inception, because this is um, I've been in business now for 15 years and um so people always ask me that and i never advertise because when people find out that you do this type of work you're inundated because there are so many people that are touched by the prison system in jail and just you know criminal criminal uh, justice portions of it not just prison but even law enforcement and uh court systems that's all a part of the criminal justice um you know, whole bridge of things is the criminal justice system, not just prison. Um, and so uh, I guess if I could say that advertising was not what I wanted to do. And, but eventually coming into Austin, because I started in Bastrop County, I had to make it known that we were here. So one of the things we did was just like, you know, mild advertisement in local, um, the newspapers, uh, like the villager in Nicoa, um, rest in peace to a Quasi Evans, who was the, um, was the, I don't know what you call him now, editor and founder for, uh, Nicoa Observer. He actually, uh, did, they've done layouts and stuff on our organization. Uh, of course, we get referrals from Texas Department of Criminal Justice, Parole and Probation because we have actually worked so closely with them over the years. Um, and then just word of mouth. A lot of it is word of mouth. Uh, people who have been, um, have successfully worked with us, they've been successful from working with us or people that just have come by that, you know, heard, heard me speak somewhere or heard from one of our, uh, employees or volunteers or whatever the case is that have spoke about, um, the work of Melch. And, uh, because of that, we get a lot of people that just walk through and okay. so just no major advertisement. Well, let's, let's get into that for a moment because I, I know that is part of your background is coming from Bastrop and how you got the, this, um, organization started. What led you to form this organization? Cause that's an interesting story. Well, you know, I think a lot of people, um, a lot of people always say to me that, um, did you have somebody in your family? Because most nonprofits are birthed from an experience that someone has had and they want to answer that, you know, they want to answer that ill, um, about the, you know, they want, somehow or another, they want to answer that by developing or starting an entity that speaks to that. And so, 
that was not my situation uh, at all. My mom, um, who had actually had a young man who was doing her yard, he um, was in a community where she was, and, and there she knew him, and he had gotten in trouble. And um, so anyway, she would, after he went to court, he was a juvenile. And so he had kind of an extensive juvenile history, nothing real violent or anything like that, but he actually broke into somebody's house and stole a VCR, and they gave him 40 years for it. And um, because of that, um, my mom had, you know, her had still befriended him and his grandfather, and so she was writing her all the time. And so my mother um, ended up ended up sharing with me about that, and was like, she thought I just knew everything. She's like, baby, you gotta help him. You know, I was like, I don't know anything about the prison system. And so it was because of that, and that actually was in Hayes County. It was because of that that really uh, prompted me into starting to look at the injustices and stuff that were going on in and around him and how he ended up getting, you know, this lengthy prison says, uh, uh, sentence that I felt like was unjust. And since he was like his first six months in prison, they had sent him to a rock and roll unit, which is where they fight and they do things with the guards. And he went to the McConnell unit. He got hit in his spine with a pipe and he was a paraplegic six months after he got into prison. And um, so it was just that alone that really prompted me to start really looking at what was happening and what was prison really, you know, what was this really about? Um, not ever feeling that knowing that any of my um, any of my family members or anything would later be affected by the prison system itself. But I was already in the business and um, kind of had began to build build the coffers of resources of finding out you know, what, what was actually going on and, you know, who was who and, you know, what the, what the barriers were for people who, um, were family members of inmates. And so that's really how I got started. So you said you were in the business. What does that mean? <laughs> well, in the business means to me that, um, in the business to me means that, um, in the knowledge and work of, the criminal justice system from a perspective that I am not law enforcement nor Mel just not law enforcement. It's not that we don't support um, the enforcement of laws and obedience to that, but we do not uh, support uh, incarceration and especially um, a, a, a lengthy uh, unjust incarceration for an inordinate amount of time. Uh, we we recognize that the majority of people that are in prison and that this prison system was really built, in my mind, to confine and continue to keep slavic, act, slavic uh, mentality and, um, and acts against black people. In, in Hispanic people, but you know, I'm, I'm getting kind of, I'm kind of tired of people of color and, um, and I've kind of tired of white privilege, those cliques and cliche, those cliches now that people are using. Because when you say people of color, you encompass many. And when I'm talking about what I've seen happen in the criminal justice system in prison specifically, you see an overabundance of black people in prison, uh, and, 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 you know, and it's not just, it's not just totally, um, and it's our black men. Uh, and, and what that, what that says to me is if you incarcerate, uh, a black man at 17 or 18 years old and you keep him for 12 years or even somewhat better than that, but if you keep him at, at minimum of 12 years, that man gets out of prison at 30 years old. The likelihood of that person reproducing is decrease significantly. And I think what that says to me is, is that um, it basically, it, 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 it allows our population to continue to decrease. Why? Because we're not even reproducing, you know. Um, so you win and on both sides you know, that this institutionalized racism is actually winning on both sides. Why? Because they're only not only taking them off the street, but then they're keeping them so long, they're warehousing them so long that when they do get out, 
They're too old or they're too behind the eight ball to even be able to reproduce, you know, um, or, you know, they're because they are they're childlike. I'm so sorry about that. They are childlike and not having the opportunity to have become a man. So when they do get out, they're trying to recapture those years that they've lost. And so then you have a cycle of ineffective people that have been released, ineffective black men, uh, ineffective Hispanic men. And then you couple that with, you couple that ineffectiveness with, um, with a lack of academic knowledge and the ignorance level that it basically makes them almost unemployable, you know, um, basically struggling just to, um, re, reacclimate themselves to their communities. And even they really don't even know how to love their family. And so Melch, my idealism was to basically make sure that there was a place, a safe place for people to come and be able to um, say what it is that happened to them and find out who they were before prison and what they could still have the opportunity to be once after, once after getting out of prison. And so a melge is significant, a significant piece in any community throughout the country, not just in Austin, Texas or Bastrop or Houston or this is something that is needed worldwide. And the reason why is because this systemic racism that is embedded in this country is not limited to Austin, Texas or Texas alone. It is a national disaster as far as I'm concerned. Prison is a national disaster. And it is because it was designed to be a way to continue slavery. Slavery that is actually legal. And I'm not saying that, um, that incarceration and putting people in, in, in prison when they do things that are wrong is not the right thing to do. But at some point or another, when you begin to keep people like caged animals, for a period of time, you serve the public. That, that doesn't help public safety, nor does that help the person who is, has been victimized. So I just think that it's something that is um, a mentality of old that isn't working. So then how do you break the cycle? Because it seems like there's also kind of a socioeconomic component to it as well as just you know where where do you where do you put resources and do things to break this cycle so that this doesn't keep happening you know i don't know that i don't know that there will never be this um because prison is a money making situation yeah. all the way around <laughs> you know they're making money um they're making money on the phone calls they're making money when they construct and erect these buildings they're making money when they um they're making money when they're going through the court system. They're making money when people are begging them to let them out. They're well, making I mean it's just it's 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 such an it's has such an economic impact. Well, I know that also nowadays a lot of the prisons are privately run. Right. And they get paid per prisoner, so obviously they have a lot of incentive to fill the beds. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so as part of your Functions mm-hmm. as males. Do you uh, do you promote uh, prison reform? Do you lobby? Do you is that part of your mission? So I have to say this because I think that this is really important. Um, many of the organizations that are all popping up all over, especially in Austin, you have all these nonprofits popping up. You know. Uh, that do different aspects of of um, advocacy. And I'd like to believe after 16 years in doing this, 15, 16 years, going in my 16th year of doing this type of thing, I am beyond advocacy because I started out with, uh, you know, I started out when reentry was not a buzzword. It is a buzzword. Everybody wants to be in now because they see money in this. I did this work before it was popular. I did this work from a pure place. And so, um, 
I look at it now as, yeah, you know, um, I spend some time going uh, from time to time to the Capitol and I talk to different legislative body members. I'm, a, I'm actually, um, I actually ran for a, um, uh, for a house seat a couple of years back and I have been a, a city council person, I'm an elected official in, uh, the county and where I live. So for me, it has not been, um, it's not been one of those things that I'm going to spend my time uh, talking to a whole bunch of people when I really don't even see them presenting appropriate legislation that really addresses this. You know, and at the end of the day, all of us know that um, prison has has been um, a cesspool of nothing, basically. And so I don't feel like you have to have as much you wouldn't have to have all these advocacy groups and things like that um, if people would just do the right thing, you know. If people would just do the right thing, you know. Um, when it's people, pretty all encompassing. That is state all. Like it, these is, days. it is. It you is. Know. I mean, you know, people need to learn to do the yeah. right thing, and um, you know, if you treated people the way you wanted to be treated, you know, it would it would eliminate much of the things that we, not just prison, but I'm just talking about in general, Mm -hmm. you know, um, treating people the way you want to be treated. You know, we were talking earlier before we got on, on this broadcast, we were talking about, um, you know, age discrimination and how you apply for jobs. And, you know, as you get older, when I was younger, I never thought about that. You know, I thought, Oh, I, you know, there's no such thing as, you know, people don't discriminate against us because you know, well, I didn't get old now, so I know <laughs> that that is alive and well. But if you see somebody that is qualified, that is seasoned, and you, in your mind, doing the right thing is, even though I know that person is qualified, I want this young person, even though they don't have a qualification I need, I can probably teach them because they got more wind. They got more, you know, length of time to give us or whatever. Is that really is that really the right thing to do? You know, I guess it's all in <laughs> well, and you can pay them less. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I forgot about the yeah. economic. Yeah, so you know, you really think about it from that. It is an easy thing to say about doing the right thing, but um, the hope is is that people would uh, do the right thing, and that this this particular issue of prison that people we've discussed it so much all over the country, and we're continuing to discuss. It's a hot topic now. It wasn't a hot topic when I started. It was. It's a hot topic now. You would think that the people that had the ability to make those changes while they are sitting in these political seats of power, that they would just do the right thing. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. There's no money in, in uh, recreating a money-making situation. No. Yeah. Well, and... Do you think possibly with some of the reforms of some of the marijuana laws and things like that that we're starting to see that maybe you don't get that guy in that first arrest or first, you know, get him started on that trail? Do you think that helps? You know, um, I'm so afraid, although I am all about if if they legalize marijuana, I'm all for it. You know, if they if they do it ever in Texas, and I doubt it seriously. But um it scares me because the drug epidemic is so rampant right now on harder drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and weed is just, marijuana is just nothing anymore. It, it actually would probably, you'd have more judges smoking weed now than you do now. <laughs> but anyway, um, but <laughs> I'm sorry. It's all right. But uh, the truth shall set us all free. So anyway, yeah, so it may it may be. Well, I, you know, just thinking about how typically what happens from my understanding with these cases is early on you get into some minor trouble and then because of that you mm-hmm. get into some more trouble and then it just keeps escalating until they're mm-hmm. in for 40 years or whatever. Exactly, exactly. And basically what happens though, and I, and I appreciate you saying that, that brings uh, me to, you know, uh, people start getting small line offenses as a juvenile and um, basically they have this, as they say in court, when they are using it to uh, enhance 
their adult charges, they say that they have an extensive juvenile record, juvenile history. And it could be for crazy stuff like, you know, he pushed somebody in the classroom and they call that a simple assault. Um, they got caught with, you know, they caught, got caught with a roach, and, you know, and so that's another thing. I mean, it's all these things that um, that can bolster somebody's record. And um, and so one of the things that Melge does is uh, before expunction expunction now is is um is becoming more common uh but when we started we were doing that uh in a partnership with the university of texas school of um the 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 law school and we were using their clinic they were taking um our direct referrals and actually processing all of their um misdemeanors off of their records and even when a person's gone to prison and they have a bunch of misdemeanors and all that kind of stuff on their pre on their record. Those things that can be expunged from their record, I encourage anybody who's listening today to take those, um, take that and get that removed from your record. Because as, when you're an adult, they use those things to enhance your record, especially in the federal system. And so that is really important about. You know, how you live when you're growing up is, is, is important. Um, and many kids now, you know, now they really are getting in trouble at an earlier age because schools are on, on heightened uh, fear because of the different disasters that have happened throughout the country. There's just a lot of reasons why. And so um, you see people's criminal record being bolstered at an earlier age now, and it really makes it uh, a little bit a little bit more testy on what you're going to see on people's records. And it, it behooves people to get those things expunged from their records, even if they've gone to prison. So take me through the process of the first meeting with a, with a new prospect. I guess. Well, another new program participant, when they yes. come in, they may call or be, they may have sent something over our website. Uh, you can get us on www.melj.org. What does that stand for? It stands for Minorities for Equality in Economy, Education, Liberty, and Justice. Melch. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's a mouthful. And you know, um, I always tell a story about the girl who was a grant writer who first came to meet me and she, um, she told me, uh, oh, that's such a dark name. You're never going to get any money for it. She, I mean, this is when I first, first started. I was so heartbroken after talking to her because she was just telling me all these terrible things about the organization name. And it's too long and it sounds dark. And, and then four or five years later, I decided I wanted to, I was going to change it. And everybody's like, no do that people know you now it's the it's the organization with all the letters <laughs> so anyway um so um that that within itself has kind of been interesting but anyway the intake process is very simplest we um they come in um they do a, a small form that form basically asks who you are you know where you're from what uh what brings you in today uh, what type of charges do you have from your past? Are you on parole or probation? Or are you a flat discharge? It means you're not on paper, period. Um, we ask those, them those questions. And then we ask them, what is it that you want Milch to do for you today? What is it that you hope we can do for you? What is it that you're looking for? You know, um, some people can say, you know, I'm just, I'm tired of being an addict. You know, I want to, I want to stop doing drugs. Um, it could be somebody could say, um, I'm having problems with my parole officer. Um, it could be somebody saying that, you know, I'm running from the law right now. I actually have a blue warrant out. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. It could be somebody that's saying, you know, child support is eating my, you know, eating my ass. And so, you know, can, is there anything you can do to help me with that? It could be something as simple as, you know, I'm just not getting along. I don't want to be at my mother's house. You know, I'm 40 years old and she's asking me stuff like, you know, do you want a box, you know, do you want some grits or do you want some rice krispies? Um, it's, it's all these different things, um, that you just try to figure out what it is that an individual needs to help them be successful. Uh, and then, you know, one of the things that I do when I actually am involved in the intake and not one of the staff here, and I, but when I'm involved with intake, the one thing that I do always ask is, that, you know, have you been hurt in prison? You know, um, that could mean a lot of things. People get raped in prison. People get, um, get uh, forced to do drugs in prison. 
um, people uh, obtain disease in prison. Uh, people have had their ass beat to death in prison almost and always thought they were the, the big bad wolf and they got beat and punked because of it. Um, so you just want to know what it is that people have experienced in so you can help them to um, to get their footing back and help them understand that the fact that they made it out of prison is a blessing. You know, it is really something to, it's really something to rah-rah and ring the bell about. Even if that person has um, issues, the fact that a person comes out of prison alive and with all the activities of their limbs and stuff is really, um, that's really saying something. Because basically, for lack of a better thought process, prison is like a contained Afghanistan or Beirut. You know, it is it is a wild if I can ever describe it, it's like being in a contained Beirut. Warfare. Walled warfare. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and then you think about when you talk about it like that and you say it's warfare, you know, you think of it from a perspective that it's not, it's warfare that people are watching and either they are fanning the warfare on depending on what, prison you're in and what type of, you know, um, what type of uh, immature guards, workers are there. And um, and then warfare that they can't even call their family and tell them that they're being hurt or that something is going to happen because the phones are tapped and you don't know if the people that are listening are going to, you know, are going to enlighten your cellmate that you told or you snitched or whatever the case is. I mean, there are so many factors of, of danger in, you know, in being sold out and all these kind of things that happen to people in prison. And, you know, when you talk about being in there for a couple of days, that's one thing. But when you start talking about this is what you're being exposed to year after year after year of being incarcerated, and then when you get so hot in one area, they train, transfer you to another prison that might be more volatile. You know, just about the time you were trying to kind of sink in and, you know, you learning some of the people around you and stuff, and they shift you off to somewhere else. And, you know, and it's not like they call your family and say, hey, you know, we're getting ready to move them 200 more miles away from you. You know, people find this out after it's done. So I just think that it's just um, a situation of, of barriers in keeping people oppressed at all times. So the lighter note of that is eventually you'll get out. <laughs> there you go. This is well, not a dark conversation. No, no, no. And and speaking of that, you know <clears throat> excuse me. Um I was I was thinking there's enough material here, you know, we could do a whole nother show. So one of the things I wanted to do was get to a little lighter part of the show, which would be finding out about you. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so um, we'll we'll flip over to the funner side of this and say, so first, I don't think I even know this. Where were you born? Born in Chicago, Illinois, yeah. 6044. South side. South side. <laughs> Sox or Cubs? Cubs. Well, good for you. That's the right answer. <laughs> so, how did you wind up in Texas? My mom, my mom, God rest her soul. I miss her so much. Um, it's been almost five years since my mother passed. Now, New Year's Eve marks a new year of her being gone away, and I miss her emphatically. So, shout out to Jean Ann in the heavens because I know you up there looking at me saying, "Girl, you don't even have that desk dusted." Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway. Um, I uh, got here because my mom was uh, only child, and she's originally from Lockhart, um, oh. Dale, Texas area. And um, so my grandfather passed at a church here in Austin for 40 years, uh, New Hope Baptist Church over on East 16th Street. And I uh, got rest his soul also. And so my mother was a musician, uh, as are all my sisters who are still alive and well and playing wherever they're playing at. And, um, well, so, I seem to remember a video I saw of a pastor talking about you singing. So yeah, <laughs> well, I 
able to get a few bars here? No, today? you will not today. Oh. I tell you, I just do good to sit here. I am so extremely exhausted just from, you know, being gone and doing stuff all the time. So, you know, and I'm, I'm really, I really am enjoying my life, um, so much now. Um, like I said, Mel just 15, 16 years, going into 16 years now. And, um, you know, it has been, it has been much, much battling. But I think that the personality that I've been raised to have, being in the public eye, you know, as uh, with a little gospel group with my mom and my grandfather pastoring and exposing us at such a young age, um, has really prepared me for uh, being a, a person that speaks in, speaks fearlessly and with boldness. Um, I believe what I say. Maybe nobody else does. <laughs> believe what I say um and so it's a lot of things it's a lot of things about Latrice Cook that are pretty interesting I love to roll a skate which we do that in Illinois and Michigan and Indiana's and stuff like that we love to skate and even on the east coast that's a big thing it's not as big here but um I love to roller skate um I, I I love music I love to read I don't get a lot of time anymore to read but that was like one of the biggest things that I really grew up with a passion of reading and um I just remember some great books and stuff that I read you know uh growing up and just um that still stick with me today um I'm a mother of three wonderful kids one one kid who's just tries every inch of my nerves my oldest uh, oldest child shout out to my oldest child um he gives me um indigestion sometimes but uh him and the uh they are very close my kids and i am a new grandmother well not new grandmother she's eight now and she is the love of my life azaya and um have been married for 26 27 years and um no longer uh, so I'm free and, um, I'm, fr- I'm, I was free. <laughs> I'm free. <laughs> so Mel's just, um, Mel's just wonderful. I, um, I took on, uh, something in addition to, um, I took on something in addition to, uh, Melj and have been, um, doing some warehouse stuff with, uh, some people, uh, which has been just really interesting. And, um, I think that, uh, I've just, I've just evolved. Um, in many ways, um, never thought I would be doing this this long. I've learned so much and I just, I'm always just, I'm always just an eruption of giving information because I want to see other people, you know, um, have these opportunities and to do things that they love doing, whatever that is. Um, so, you know, I, I just feel like for me personally, the, the core of Latrice Cook is, uh, I am just, on the hat. I'm always, I'm just always am a giggly type. I just, I'm just. I'll testify to that. Yeah, <laughs> I just I love having a good time. But you know, I also know, um, and I love people. And I think that that's what drives me. People always say, God, you have so much energy and you know, you just say, but it's just that I love people. And I think people are the catalyst for the energy. And to make sure that everybody gets an opportunity at the American dream, whatever the hell that is, you know, um, I want to make sure that, that, uh, my legacy is, is that somebody's life is a little better from the things that I've been able to do myself to help the community wherever I live be better. You know, um, I want to say this because, you know, what people automatically feel like when, you're a person that runs a business or owns a business or whatever the case is or, you know, uh, you have your financial situation stable. You know, people just automatically assume everything about you is perfect. You're, you know, your kids, you know, you, your kids are perfect. This, that, and the other. I am a human being that bleeds for real. You know, um, if you slap me, I'm going to slap you back, but I'll probably cry, but I'm going to slap you right back. But, uh, I'm not going to turn the other cheek. I am, I am Bible raised, but I'm still, you know, I still struggle with that. But, um, I will tell you that, you know, my kids make errors. I've had, you know, I've had people in my family, immediate family that have entered prison. Um, so, I mean, there are, 
I am a real person that has real issues. And so a lot of times people feel like because you do this work, they always are on you. It's always somebody needs something, somebody. And it was a, a legislative uh, person, a Congress uh, woman that told me, uh, Maxine Waters, I think about her a lot. Maxine told me that she said, honey, people will call you. Now that you've been doing your business and everything, people will call you and they'll ask you stuff like, you know, what kind of fence should they put up? I mean, really, they, I mean, people think that it's just anything and it's no downtime sometimes. And that's the one thing uh, about this work is that I really figured that it is, it is rare that you have downtime and um, downtime is important to replenish you know, yourself, self-care, uh, which is a new buzzword now. And I really need to put, get somebody needs to get me a T-shirt, say self-care. So um, that's the lighter side. I think I just re-energize myself every time I see people because I love people of all colors. And, um, and I have to say that some of the best opportunities I have gotten have not been from people that look like me. People that have extended themselves and allowed me the opportunity to grow in, um, and have an opportunity, a chance, have been white people. And so uh, when I speak, I don't I don't speak from a place of racial, you know, imbalance. I'm, I'm balanced when it comes to people and loving all people. But this particular issue is something that has been um, put on the people of color by um by by the caucasian you know by caucasians and, and you know and that's the real truth and so um doesn't mean that everybody's that way i mean if we could all you know if we could all stretch out this rod and say how we wanted things to be based on what we individually felt it probably would be a little bit better you know but well okay so let's talk about that for a second you moved here at what age from chicago I moved here initially at eight. I think it was like eight when I first moved here. I went back to, uh, went back to go to high school and everything, finished high school and everything in Chicago. So I left, I came here at eight. We stayed here. My mother and them went ahead and stayed here. And then I went back at 14, 13 and stayed until I was an adult. So what was your experience like then? That had to be quite a culture shock moving from Chicago to Lockhart, uh, Texas. Or No, we moved to Austin, and we actually oh. moved to Manor Road. Shout out to Old Manor Road. <laughs> There's no longer Old Manor Road. It's something else, Mueller Division or Mueller. Yeah. Um, you know, it was because Chicago is so different. Even then, it was different. I remember um, I remember one time we were on our porch, and we were playing around and the Blackstone Rangers, this large, large gang, uh, was going across, was across the street. My mother owned a beauty shop on 103rd and Prairie. And it was like uh, the beauty shop, Miss Jenny May's house, and, um, an alley, and then our house. And so all the kids, we were all on the porch and we were playing. And I remember having on a red tam on my head. And this guy, one of the gang members, ran across the street and snatched the tam off my head. I was playing on the porch. And um, this was back in the early six, I mean, in the um, in the early 70s when it happened. That was then. You know, Chicago gets a bad rap right now about all the murders and this, that, and the other. But the reason why, I mean, Chicago has always been, you know, uh, a little on the edgy side. Uh but the difference is, is that we have social media now. Mm-hmm. And so all these cameras are rolling. But this stuff has been going on, maybe not to the extent where it is right now, but, but Chicago has always been um, a little bit on the wilder side. And um, one of the reasons why we came, came, my mother brought us to Texas was because after um, her and my father divorced, um, she was not wanting to raise four kids on 103rd street anymore by her, you know, by herself. And, um, even at the time when I went back as a preteen, it was, it was not as bad even then because we had moved, we were out towards the suburbs. So, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, is that, um, coming to Texas was definitely, uh, a different, it, it was definitely a different environment. And even now, right now today, uh, I see Texas as a 
is progressive, but it's still behind. You know, um, you can just tell by transportation, Texas is behind. <laughs> You know? Yeah, we won't touch that one. Yeah, again, we won't Joel. touch that one. Let's do that <laughs> one. Have y'all had one on transportation? We started with that. Yes. Oh, man. Okay. Uh-huh. So, uh, one of the other questions I'd want to ask then is what's been your favorite experience here in Austin? My favorite experience in Austin has to be um, I, I, I was a state senate page at 12. And, um, I was, uh, Louis Doggett was my sponsor and that was really a wonderful experience. And I think that that's really what started me in, um, being more, um, knowledgeable about the political thing, what that meant, uh, being around there. Me and Ellen Richards, who I saw just the other night, were sending pages together and her mother was a former governor, Ann Richards. And so that was really a real neat, uh, part of my that was one of the one of the neatest things and I think the other thing is is that um how I actually I had my first theater experience at Zachary Scott so oh wow uh, so I love Zachary Scott theater um from then to now which is so different but that those were some really good those were some really, really good experiences. And and actually probably smoking weed on Mount Bunnell, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> wow. People do that? Yeah, really. No. I wouldn't know. <laughs> oh gosh. And I say that because um while I was in San Francisco just not too very long ago, um one of the persons that was spoke was uh, Van Jones from CNN. He's mm-hmm. uh, um, used to be uh, one of the former aides for uh, President Obama, and uh, he talked about his exposure coming from Memphis, Tennessee. He spoke about his exposure to heavy drugs. He said the first thing he the first experience he had ever had with heavy drugs that he never used was when he went to Yale. <laughs> wow. Well, so, you know, and he, and it wasn't that he used, he was just saying that his, that what he had seen was the difference in how all the students from Yale that used, that they were, they were still treated, they had opportunity at, uh, alternatives to incarceration. And he said, and right, not far from there was a housing project with people that had less position or whatever, and they'd end up going to jail, prison. So, I just said that because um, I thought that that was interesting that he said that. And at the time when I had my first experience with pot, and that's been some time ago, and I know I'm probably going to run for uh, for, and we're going to probably have to destroy this podcast because of it. <laughs> edit. But, yeah, edit. But one of the reasons I say that is because an experience that I had um, at the time was with some of my doctors, daughters, and this and the other on Mount, on Mount Bunnell. And even though that didn't be, that would didn't uh wasn't a consistent part of my life, it was my first experience, and that was through people that didn't look like me, you know, and and stuff that they were dealing with. And so, I say that jokingly, but that's probably not a good joke. But anyway, so one of the other things, you know, Austin always has this keep Austin weird thing. Oof. So what's the weirdest thing you've seen here? <laughs> the weirdest thing I've seen here is um. Probably, what was the what was the transvestite's name? Leslie. Well, the weirdest thing I seen was Leslie running seriously for mayor, and um, people pushing and prodding her to do so. You know, I just think some things are just not a joke. Right. And that was not a joke. So that was like the weirdest. And I think the other weird thing that I see is that we are still sitting bumper to bumper with all these, the uh, all outsourcing are not going to be able to live in Austin. And we are bumper to bumper and Austin does not have one mass form of transit yet. So that's pretty weird, Austin, because by now we should be moving people. Mm-hmm. So other than traffic, what's the biggest change you've seen? The biggest change. And it can be, it doesn't have to be physical. It can be just in the personality of the town or The personality of the town has changed because Austin has always been all-encompassing, I believe. And I feel like now Austin is getting real segregated. To If it was segregated, it wasn't something that you felt so um, 
it wasn't so in your face and so um, it feels stifling now. Um, I can tell you as a as a kid who had great friends and we were on Scenic Drive and Lake Austin Boulevard and all those places. I was in Dr. Fred Dupuy who has passed away, uh, one of the first pediatricians here in Austin. Me and his daughter were great friends and, um, you know, I just remember going to Breckerwoods, um, over off of Jefferson and, um, you know, I just, I, I, I think the most, um, the most sad thing is to see Austin building all these wonderful uh, parks and infrastructures and a new library and all like this and people not feeling welcome that have been born and bred in the city. Um, the, uh, the, the racial tension now that Austin has is just, is thick. And, um, and I, that's probably one of the, and just to see um, the displacement of Austin, you know, Austin's starting to get just, you know, it's just starting to get to be uh, another big city. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We, you know, it's interesting you said that because that was we had Joel interview me for why I wanted to move to Austin. And the number one thing I said was I felt it was very inclusive where when I lived in Dallas, I felt it was oh. very segregated. Yeah. Ex, you know. Yeah. You didn't feel welcome everywhere. Yeah. Well, the way I, I like look at it, there are so many people moving to Austin on a daily basis. It's diluting what Austin was. Yeah. You know, it's. But, but yeah, that's a funny story. I'll tell you sometime, or you can listen to the other the episode we <laughs> <Right>. recorded. I <laughs> won't bore the audience with the, repeating it again, but. Anyway, so it looks like we have some comments there. I'm trying to read them from afar. I can't. Uh, from Oris Wynn. Thank you, Oris, for listening in. And somebody else I can't see from this far. Something. What's that last one? Cook. Daniel Cook. Daniel Cook. I don't know who Daniel Cook is. Hi. <laughs> you don't spell your name with the E. I have an E, so I don't know. <laughs> Thank you all for. Listening in and Oris Wynn, is that Oris Wynn? Oh, Daryl Cook. Oh, Daryl Cook. Hey, Daryl. Daryl's in North Carolina. Yes. Oh. Hey. Hello, my sister from Texas. Hey, Daryl. Thank you for listening in. Daryl is an author and, uh, has a interesting book. I wish you to post, you post that out there and we'd say it for you, Daryl. Um, yeah, he's, he's a interesting, a very interesting guy came to uh, me through uh, or referred to us through a, a, a current City of Austin employee. So, yeah. Hey, Daryl. And the other one above him, is that Oris Wynn? Yes. Hey, Oris. I don't know what his comment is. Please read Oris. Please, uh, I want to, I want to say your book and maybe I can hook you up with Bob Morris and his co-host, his anchor over here, Please, Joel. Joel, I almost called you Joe, and I did not want to say oh, that. That's Joel, as in Billy Joel, and he's uh, he. What's well, funny? Billy Joel says Joel, as in Joel McCall. Really? <laughs> no, not once. Never. That has never happened in exactly. the history of the world. <laughs> exactly. And I have to tell you, Joe McCall is definitely cool because he has people from the Midwest, and so we know the Midwest is the best. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so last question. Okay. Where's your go-to place here? Like, it can be a restaurant, it could be a bar, it could be a park. Oh, my be- go-to place. I got a couple of those. So my go-to place... Um, for, um, for my chocolate, which is a must have, is Upper Crust Bakery. Mm. Uh, nice. they have the best chocolate cupcakes with white icing. And if you haven't had one, you need to get there in the marble fudge. They're very good. That's my go-to place for, uh, for that. Um, my go-to place for just clearing my head is walking and light jogging along Lady Bird Lake, formerly Town Lake, which I still like Town Lake. I don't like Lady Bird Lake. That sucks. Um, and then my go-to place just to clear my mind after getting off the hike and bike trail 
is last call name of Alrighty then. <laughs> oh, Daryl Cook just I just I see his what does it say? My autobiography is entitled Being Raised from a Dead Horizontal Something. Is that what it says for real? <laughs> Being raised from a dead horizontal. Okay, that's Daryl Cook. Is that what she said? Yes. Yeah. Is it be, being raised from a dead horizontal? Okay. All right. We'll have to hear well, a little bit more about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Latrice, I really want to thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's, thanks it's been for fun. having me. This <laughs> is fun. And I just want to say to everybody who's listening, they have got the best sound system and mics, and I am going to suggest that they donate this to me. <laughs> Oh man. <laughs> Is it tax deductible? Uh, it might be. T- yes, it's tax deductible. Well, we are go, 501c3. Huh? But you know what? He's not going to do that because he'd be crazy if he did. I wouldn't do that or not. But you know what? If you are listening today, I need a Roadcaster Pro and a mic. What the This is what I need. They're not that expensive, people. So somebody pony yeah. up. And- yeah, donate this. We need this. We need this. Somebody else said something. But anyway, thank you all for listening. And thank you so much, Joel and um, Bob, for having me on. I really appreciate this opportunity to talk about Mel's uh, Justice Center. And if I can say in closing to uh, you all, to anybody who is listening, you know, uh, before I founded a nonprofit and uh, I used to, um, I used to, be a part of United Way because I was a state government employee. And so, you know, it requires that sometimes that you, uh, you contribute to different things. And so, uh, I remember that until my mother had cancer, I never really gave to the level that I do now to American Cancer Society. And that is the, that is historically the way people do. Until things face you personally, you really don't support it. You don't really care about it. You kind of do, but you don't. And so I just want to say to everybody who's listening, it doesn't have to be Mel Center, but we need your assistance. We need your help. But anything that you can give to that is supporting marginalized people to have a whole opportunity at living a decent life, you should give something to it. We spend money on so many frivolous things that, I mean, it is nothing for you to contribute $20 every month or whatever to a MELG or American Cancer Society or a Pets Alive, if that's what you like. But I encourage people to not focus so much on things that don't have to do with human life. Human life is important. And so those entities that have decided to sacrifice themselves to be that, to be that voice, or to be that service for that those populations, please begin to contribute. So well, and then so what I would like to do is say, this is your chance. How do they contribute to you? How do they? www.melj.org. You can go online, and we're on PayPal. Um, you can give that way. You can send your contribution in to 403 East 15th Street, Austin, Texas 78701. Uh, 403 East 15th Street, Austin, Texas, 78701. You can call our office, 512-473-2525, and somebody here will help you. But you can always go online, www.melj.org. And please tune in this Thursday at 9 a.m. to KAZI 88.7 FM to the Iron Sharpens Iron Show to listen. And if you want to even be on our uh, on our newsletter list, we get uh, put right now. We're putting out a newsletter monthly, but it's mostly quarterly. Uh, you can send that information over the website too, and we'll happily add you to subscribe to our newsletter. That's it. Well, and don't you have some social media sites you'd oh, like to get Oh, I have some social Facebook. Oh, my God. Bob is such the, he is, I mean, you on it. So Facebook, you can reach out to us on Facebook, uh, Mel Center, um, dot, um, well, Facebook, Melch, uh, in our link, I have a LinkedIn, um, which is, uh, LinkedIn, Melch.org as well. Um, it's not melge.org, it's, it's LinkedIn, whatever that is. And our Instagram is also Melge Center. It's M-E-3-L-J 
Center. So that is our uh, Instagram. So we're on Instagram. We have a Twitter account, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So there are many ways that you can get in touch with us, and please don't be shy about that. Uh, We do respond to everything, and if you specifically ask for me, I will respond to it. Nice. Well, and thank you so much for sharing your story. It's thank you for it having me. It is such a a huge story, and you oh. know, every journey starts with a step, right? And so every step is important. And uh, and and thank you. Well, I thank you all again for having me, and hopefully you'll have me again if I decide to make this sure. political run. So we'll talk about uh, that. Oh, then. we'll definitely Woo-hoo! do that. So <laughs> you didn't hear that here. <laughs> Breaking news. Breaking news. God, this has been fun. Thank you so much. Not a problem. All right. So this is Bob Moore saying uh, thank you to Latrice. Thank you to Joel. And we'll see you next time on the trail to Austin.